Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another week of the Owl's Nest, bringing you the bird's eye view of all the action happening in the Overwatch League. Of course, along with me, as always, is my trusty co-host, Jake. How's it going, man? Doing good. We got an exciting show here for you. Of course, we are going to recap all the uh, action from last week, all the big moments, including... The Battle for Texas. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, some changes that are coming up here in May. Uh, so we're going to be sort of putting on hiatus, uh, taking a look at some of the teams and, uh, you know, sort of future casting what the rest of their season might be looking like. And, of course, we can't not talk about a legend uh, that decided to retire and leave us. And then finally, uh, matches of the week and talking about how the new hero bands uh, may end up affecting the the next week of play. But uh, where we're going to start out, of course, weekend takeaways from last week. And uh, I'd like to start with the you know one of what, what was supposed to be one of our matches of the week. And I mean, it was still a good match, obviously. But uh, Philadelphia Fusion, Atlanta Reign. The last time these two teams went up against each other, uh, that they clashed, it went all the way to a game five. Uh, but this time, Philly got the clean sweep over on Atlanta. So, Jake, what are your thoughts on this match? I mean, this wasn't quite how we expected it to turn out, though the Philly win isn't entirely surprising. Uh, I think you're definitely right about that. Um, I did expect Philly to win, didn't expect it to be so dominant. Um, I think it, it was pretty interesting to see the Ash come out so much in this match. Um, you know, over the other hit scan choices, it seems like the the recent buffed Ash is, is pretty significant. It was like three different stats buffed all at once, all making her like more fluid and um, just more effective to use overall. Um, and I just feel like Carpe seized that and, and absolutely destroyed on the hero. Baby Bay had good moments too, uh, but it felt that overall the fusions just had like better usage of the hero, better game plans around it. Now, uh, McCree and Widowmaker were, of course, once again uh, banned out for the hero usage, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, uh, I mean, overall, what are your thoughts on having on the Ash being so much more dominant than the McCree or the Widowmaker? I mean, you know, do you think that uh, this is something that we're going to continue to see going forward, or might have this just been a one-off for Atlanta and Philly? Well, no, I, I think it's very, very possible we'll see a lot more Ash. Um, you know, she's always been a hero that I think everyone said, you know, oh, yeah, she's decent. She's just not as good as McCree or Widow. Um, but the kind of buff she got is exactly what she needs to compete. It's just like her raw damage is now just a little bit better, a little bit more sustained. You know, the reload, reloading a couple shots is, is a lot quicker now. Reloading like your whole mag is about the same speed, but when you just have to do those emergency reloads to keep fighting, um, that's a lot quicker now. And that makes a big difference, I think, in the long run. Um, as well, you can, you know, use the hip fire a little bit quicker. So just, you know, um, that's just the nature of Overwatch, right? Like, you can buff a hero, and, you know, a hero just feels like, ah, it's not quite good enough, it's not quite good enough, keeps getting buffed, keeps getting buffed. <laughs> and then one day you wake up, and it's actually good now, and it's actually it's actually a, a good choice, dominant choice. So I think um, Ash might finally be in that place to, like, properly compete with the other hitscan. Uh, it'd be, be a good pick. Well, it was definitely a show to watch, and the uh, league, I think, overall could always use more bobs. Now, another one of the matches that we had uh, outlined last week was the Shanghai versus Seoul match. Uh, this was another one that I think didn't quite go the way that we expected it to. Uh, Shanghai with the clean sweep over the Seoul dynasty. Uh, Jake, talk to me about this match here. I mean, you know, now that we've got to see Seoul a little bit more in action, you know, it, it, it gives us a, a better sort of overall picture of what the uh, the Western teams are. are Sorry, the Eastern teams are looking like. What are your thoughts on uh, what we saw? Uh, I just feel like Shanghai had such great composition decisions throughout the match. Um, so many times they were running a comp that I just really liked. I thought that was really creative. 
They're running uh, a lot of Rhine Sigma with Batiste, May, and McCree. Um, it's a really interesting composition. It's uh, playing against like a more classic Rhine Diva on a Lucio comp. They would just slow things down and focus the shield trade. And I like the, the that style of comp. You pretty much just win as long as you don't die. And what that means from an execution perspective is that your individual players don't have to like make plays. You don't have to go above and beyond and, and open things up, which which can be really difficult to do in a top level match. So because you're in that default win position, you can play passive, and that's actually confident. Like being passive is good. Like the enemy team is is losing as long as you're being passive and you're um, getting a bit of value out of your heroes. Um, and I just think Shanghai plays so well as a team that they're hard to pick off an individual basis, and they're also good at you know getting that value on their personal hero that. They're just constantly getting ahead in the team fight. Constant once they have control of the map and they're defending a location, it's it's really bad, um, really bad for the other team. I mean, uh, so I just feel like they played those compositions really, really well, and they had great decisions in what to swap to throughout the whole match. Um, and that's been a theme for Shanghai. Not only is their execution great, but so is their decision making about strategy. So taking a look at the standings right now, uh, Philadelphia Fusion are obviously still in first place as they're 9-1. and one. Uh, Shanghai Dragons are sitting at 8-1, and one, but they do have uh, two more in their map differential, 20-18 to 18 over the Fusion. Do you think that this match was indicative of exactly where Shanghai is compared to some of these other, uh, you know, the South Korean and, and, and the Chinese teams? Or do you think maybe, you know, this is just one of those uh, weeks where Shanghai just really sort of had Seoul's number, and Seoul is better than what they looked in this particular matchup? I mean, I don't even think, after watching this match, I don't think Seoul is a bad team. I just think Shanghai is, like, on another level, right? Seoul was playing very standard, very default things, you know, strategies we've seen a lot before. Um, nothing really innovative or, or new that we haven't seen much of. So, from that point, I just think Shanghai was, like, is not Shanghai is not only playing better, but also they're actually innovating, which is, is a really scary combo to be going up against, and I think shows that Shanghai is going to be a team to beat in the playoffs. Like, I, I honestly expect it. Like, after this performance, obviously it's it's pretty early on, you know, things could change, but I actually just expect to see Shanghai in, like, the top four. Like, that, anything less at this point, you know, at the end of the season in the playoffs. I, I think anything less would be a surprise for me. Um, just, this team is very, very strong. I think they're going to go far in the playoffs. It's definitely and I think Seoul probably will too, but but obviously Shanghai just looks way better. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a wild ride if we go all the way back to 2018 and where we are now with the Shanghai Dragons, so it should continue to excite. Uh, and then, of course, the other big match, uh, I think, from my side, from my perspective here, uh, was, of course, the Battle for Texas, the Houston Outlaws versus the Dallas Fuel. This definitely did not disappoint. In fact, uh, besides... One other match, I forget which one it was. There was one three and one. Everything else this weekend was clean sweeps except for the Battle for Texas. Went the full five. Uh, Jake, where do you want to start with this match, man? I mean, I mean, what were your highlights? What really stood out to you here? Oh my god, there are so many highlights <laughs> in this game. It was pretty, pretty wild, wild series. Total knockdown dragout. I mean, I you know I was saying last week, like, gosh, I don't know how to call this match. Feels like this is going to be really close, and you know maybe we. Maybe I should have been more confident of that. Maybe we should have made this, you know, match of the week because this is uh, that was the best match mm-hmm. I've seen in a long time. Like the most fun to watch, most exciting. Uh, so it was a real pleasure to cast. I'm really glad I was on that game because uh, it's just really fun to see. You know, Outlaws obviously could have taken the series in many moments. Dallas could have held them off, you know, more effectively in many moments. So there was big plays all around. Decay popping off in a huge way to, to get picks to keep the game alive in, in a, quite a few situations and. Um, same true for, for Blase and Dante and Mecco. 
even the supports and the outlaws having huge moments like just it was just a, such a wild series like really impressive stuff from both teams i actually think both teams played quite well overall yeah uh so there's a few questions i did have for you uh the first was uh, on elios you know during the the broadcast you had pointed out just how quickly and how well jexta was uh playing that lucio and building that alt and i feel like you know unless you have your reddit lucios who are really you know jumping around and going for those kills i think it's it a lot of times it's hard to see how effective a Lucio can be. So what exactly was it that Jexa was doing that made him so key to uh, the Outlaws in, in those matches? I mean, he just had a lot, especially the very first round of Ilios, he had a lot of massive heal amps where he's heal amping six or f- like the entire team is taking damage at once and he is heal amping everyone at the same time. Um, and also, you know, like staying alive and getting good damage. And um, like he had, he had his second beat before reaching 99% when it was 99 to zero which is incredibly fast. Like, it's not it's not super surpri- surprising to get one beat in a Koth round. Like, that's a little below average, but to get two beats halfway through the Koth round is is really, really crazy. Like, like really insanely fast. Um, I do think he slipped up just a little bit uh, in terms of ultimate counting because he beated before the Nanoblade came out and the, the when Outlaws were up 99-0. And I think that ended up costing them pretty dearly as Decay kind of ran through them after the beat decayed. Uh, didn't mean to <laughs> say Decay again, but uh, yeah. So after the beat faded, like then Decay just kind of had his way with the Nanoblade. But uh, still, it was a really impressive performance um, for that first half of the round. Like just, just doing exactly what Lucian needs to do. Stay alive. Keep everyone else alive. Charge your beat as fast as you can. Um, just getting huge value. Yeah, well, I think overall, like you said, both of these teams obviously played fantastic. Uh, but I do think that probably in the end, you know, where the the fuel ended up getting the leg up over the outlaws was by taking advantage of sort of these these small, you know, errors in judgment. You know, uh, uh, Route sixty six, which was probably my favorite match out of the entire series. You know, after the outlaws uh, got full held on point A, and then just about fuller held the fuel. Uh, there was that moment where they all collapsed in on Muma, who didn't quite get his primal rage off in time. Do you think that was just a matter of him melting a lot quicker than what he anticipated? Or, you know, try to talk, talk, talk us through exactly what you think happened uh, in that moment with not being able to utilize the primal rage. Oh, I mean, definitely he got bursted before he was ready for it. Um, I even watched the match back on my stream and saw that Decay hit, like, a couple solid shots on him. Everyone was focusing him. Um, but, yeah, of course, just didn't get the primal off in time. I think it's one of those things that... Um, I noticed a lot, like when I retired, was when I was used to playing on land and used to, um, like the the zero ping environment. That when I went online again and I was not really not playing on land anymore, I, I struggled to like like on May I would die before using the ice block, and I was like, oh, I thought I was fine there. I would die before dashing on Genji, and I feel like, oh wow, I, th- I thought for sure I'd be okay with that one. Um, and I think that's just the reality of like you have to. You have to give yourself more buffer in, a, in the online environment because of the ping differential, right? So you have to be less greedy. You can't go for that perfect, you know, popping primal at one HP, um, you know, max value play because sometimes you get really punished and just by um, the ping, right? And uh, I, to be honest, I expect that that was the sort of situation um, with Muma there that he was, you know, just used to the land ping and... Um, yeah, that that uh, to be honest, I think like online matches, it doesn't affect everything, but the the there's a few abilities in the game that are very much. It's very important that it's an instant cast time. Um, for instance, like detonating the junkrat tire or 
uh, ice blocking on May or primaling on Winston, like things that are the difference between making a big play and getting nothing at all is the difference between a couple milliseconds. And, you know, for most things like just doing damage or just, you know, you know, going around the map, like those things aren't really affected by, by the online environment, but those instant, um, instant skills are quite affected, I would say, by the ping. So um, definitely feel for Muma on that one. Decay hit some nice shots to burst him down quick, but uh, yeah, it's tough. You know, and rewatching that, I actually think the Outlaws could have been even more aggressive than they were, but because by the time Muma dies there, it's like he, Fuel already have the high gun control um, with their McCree and Torb, so it's already going to be really hard to primal into that. Like, you're already going to die fast in the primal, even if you get it off. Like, you won't, it won't last that long. Um, well, uh, luckily the Houston Outlaws won't have to wait too long to potentially get the revenge. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and the Lone Star Showdown. Uh, this going to be coming up here very quickly, but... Uh until then, guys, you know, we'd like to know what you think, you know, uh, share with us any of the opinions that you have on how these rounds win, you know, who you thought was going to win, where you thought the mistakes or some improvements could have been made. Let us know on Checkpoint XP over on Twitter and Facebook. You can also let Jake know over at Jake OW on Twitter as well. We'll be right back. Yeah, I think adding in a smoke grenade as something you could buy would actually be a big plus for Valorant. Yes, like you can make yes. it 500 money. Like that's fine. Because 500 money. Because that's the value of <laughs> 500 monies, whatever their currency is. I don't know what it is. Zenny. Zenny, yeah. We're going to we'll say Gil. Zenny. We're going to stick with Gil. Uh, so <laughs> you can make it cost. Hey, it's Weird Beard from Checkpoint XP reminding you to make it blue. Help say thank you to our heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Whether you're streaming, drawing, singing, cooking, or anything else, showcase your talents and hashtag light it blue. You can find more information at our website, CheckpointXP.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and watching The Owl's Nest. Now, you know, if you'd like us on the go, you can always download an audio version of the podcast over at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can find all that information over at CheckpointXP.com as well. And make sure that you're giving Jake a follow over on Twitch at Jake underscore OW. Uh, all kinds of great gameplay over there, as well as breaking down some of the matches after the fact. Uh, now, some more of the things that I want to talk about here is, obviously, we got some big news, some big changes coming to the format of the league as we uh, go into May here and that's a switch to a tournament sort of format as opposed to the uh you know the regular league format that we've been doing here uh so jake uh you know can you break down a little bit for us exactly what we can expect going into may and what this is going to look like for us well i think it's pretty exciting to see the tournament format um, especially because we get to see how hero pools have affected the meta without hero pools and what i mean by that is hero pools have kind of forced teams to try all these different strategies and to practice like every different comp under the sun in Overwatch, really expanding what teams are comfortable playing and trying. So I'm actually quite curious to see if you remove hero pools, will we return to like one stable meta or will it still be a case of, you know, different teams playing different styles, having explored all these different styles? Now will it be much, will it be easier to experiment, easier to have diversity from map to map and, and you know, matchup to matchup? Um, and, I, and personally, I think there will. I think there there will be multiple comps played. There will be different takes uh, on the meta, even with no hero pool. 
Um, so I think, and honestly, no hero pool is, is still a shakeup at this point, right? Because we've been used to the hero pool, taking it away is like still interesting, still dynamic. Um, so I'm quite interested to see. And, and obviously tournament play is always the most hype, right? You know, win or win or go home. Like I think like there's just so much narrative and drama uh, in a tournament format. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. Well, there are some unique changes coming to this tournament tournament format as well compared to what you know uh, older fans might be used to from like the stage playoffs. Uh, the the two uh, all the teams are being separated in two regions. We'll have the North American region, then we'll have the Asian region. And uh, the first three weeks uh, regular play will determine what the seeding looks like going into these tournaments. And uh, of course, there will be cash prizes for first, second, third, and fourth place. But I think probably the biggest prize here is the fact that uh, the bonus wins that come along with placement at the end of the tournament. Uh, tournament champion will get an additional three wins added on to their overall uh, standings. Second place will get two, and third and fourth place gets one win. So, you know, uh, not that I want to get anybody's hopes up, but a team like the Boston Uprising or the Washington Justice could suddenly find themselves in a little bit more of an advantageous position, depending on how well they do here. But I thought you, you do bring up a great point. Uh, you know, I've always wondered exactly what the the decision-making goes into when determining a comp. You know, do you want to play to what your player's comfort picks are or play more to what, you know, the, the perceived meta would be? Personally, I hope we don't see an entire month uh, worth of just McCree, May, and Reaper. Uh, I hope that some teams decide to stay within their uh, sort of, you know, the, the, the strengths that they've found. It'll be really interesting to see the difference as well between how North America handles that and how the Asian teams handle that as well. Definitely. I think you're very much right. Like, couldn't, can't wait to get into these matches, cast them, have some fun with it. So, uh, obviously, one of the other big headlines that came out uh, just this week, surprising everyone, is uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Sinatra, has decided to retire from Overwatch League. Uh, suddenly makes his absence in a lot of these previous games uh, a little bit, makes a little bit more sense here, but uh, I think it's definitely a big surprise regardless. Uh, Jake, uh, do you have any insight on to, you know, what kind of decision-making might have went into this on Sinatra's behalf? Well, you know, I honestly, I, I, I'm pretty, I'm a little bit surprised, definitely, like everyone else, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty impressed with Sinatra, actually. I think this is, like, um, this is a pretty, pretty impressive decision for, like, a young player to make because, I mean, he, obviously, Sinatra is incredibly talented, and not only that, but he, he got his start playing Counter-Strike. I believe he was, like, playing ESEA, um, in Counter-Strike and, and having decent success, like obviously not getting to the pro level, but I mean, I think when he was playing that, he was really young. So um, he's got that background in tactical shooters, um, you know, uh, he's signing with the Sentinels for Valorant. Um, and I think like to leave the security of being a superstar in the Overwatch League and try and like make your name a second time in a new game, that's really impressive to me. Like to go from succeeding in one place to say you know i actually want that new challenge to try something totally different and, and find success again there um i just think that's really impressive and exciting and you know really says a lot about his mentality and his mindset so um you know congrats to sinatra frankly um i think the shock are like the only team in history that could lose sinatra and still be a top <laughs> team but um so i don't actually don't think they they need to be that worried about this um but yeah, so honestly, I'm just ha as a friend, I'm just happy to see Jay like chase that down, even if it's um, surprising to a lot of people. I think to be able to like make that decision that is surprising to a lot of people, 
Um, I think that's impressive in and of itself. Yeah, I've been flip-flopping back and forth on it myself. Uh, you know, like you said, obviously he's leaving the security of, you know, a very fat paycheck uh, at the shock and, and a bright future. But, you know, when, when I look at the reason, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that, that people go into the pro-life, you know, you're either going into it for the money or you're going in it, you know, for the stardom to, to prove that you're the best of the best. And I feel like he's definitely got both of those out of the Overwatch League. You know, you cannot argue MVP last season, uh, you know, the 2019 champions. He arguably, along with Super, you know, led them uh, to that championship there. You can't argue that he is definitely one of the greatest of all time. No one will ever take that away from him. And I think to achieve sort of that next level would be to be able to do that in a second game. Like, that's how you start to really cement yourself, not just in, you know, Overwatch League's history, but in esports history as a whole, is to find that next sort of holy grail that you can go after and prove that you're the best of the best, not just in one, but in two or more games. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that it's ever really been done before, as far as even like 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 a genre switch. Like there've been players who have played, like you know, Heroes of New Earth and then Dota too. You know, like that's that's not that surprising because um, those games are super similar. But to go from a, like a more arena shooter style with Overwatch to a tactical shooter style with Valorant, um, if Sinatra can find success, I, I totally agree. I think that makes him um, pretty indubitably one of the best of the best. Um, which makes this so exciting. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing him play, seeing what he does. Speaking of exciting, too, uh, another big announcement that just came out, the Dallas Fuel and the Houston Outlaws. We alluded to this last segment, the Lone Star Showdown. This is the first annual uh, 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 presentation of this, the two teams coming together to bring the Overwatch uh, world and the esports world uh, three solid weeks of competitive gameplay against these two rivals. And what's really interesting and unique about this is that following this up after each week on Saturday, uh, there'll be a three-part docu-series that kind of follows the behind-the-scenes of, of what's going on with these rivalries, you know, what the players are experiencing, you know, what they're feeling, how they're dealing with that, to give you that sort of human element, something that, personally, I think that that all of esports is missing and definitely needs to do more of. Uh, but Jake, you also actually get to narrate this uh, this this docu series. Yeah, I think it'll be really fun because you know I know like a lot of the players personally, and um, I've always liked this sort of content. You know, like getting getting to know people on a personal level, showing that to the fans, and and just deepening the connection between the fans and the players. Um, you know, I really like this type of content in traditional sports, and I feel that. Um, it's not about it's not something that is limited to traditional sports like oh, it's a human thing you know mm-hmm. like no matter who you are or what, what you're interested in you always are most interested in the people behind it I think that's just human nature um, and this is a series that can hopefully you know highlight that can, can serve that need all right, well, we'll definitely be talking about that more, and I look forward to seeing what comes of it, guys. Coming up next, we're going to break down some of the must-see matches of the week coming up here on the Owl's Nest. Stay with us. And listen. Well, we have an unprecedented outbreak. Thousands of us walking the earth. We might die at any moment. Because we're under attack. In which case, we must act 
fast. Doctors are trying their best. Working long hours and always sacrificing their health to protect you. Well, I'd very much like to thank them. Thanks, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Wait a minute. What's the prognosis? It's still changing. So we have a novel virus and no vaccine at this time. What should we do? We got to get everybody else back into the houses. We got to keep them there. In other words, this is our lockdown, right? What that means is stay in your homes, make no attempt to reach loved ones, and take a long nap. You can count me out. You can count me out, too. Some people are immune to good advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Those idiots. I just need to make sure you fully understand. Let's recap. I'm begging you. Stay inside. Wash your hands. And make sure you've got 10 feet of personal space around you. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. Uh-uh-uh. I didn't hear you wash your hands. So think on this, lads. When you're home watching TV. Think about the medical stuff. Working for you. So I'm asking you. Stay home. I'm in isolation. Just stop the virus. All right, I'll do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You stay classy, planet Earth. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on the Owl's Nest. Of course, uh, week uh, 13 here coming up. Uh, we got some great matches for you to take a look at here. We're going to go ahead and jump right into talking about what they are. So here are our matches of the week. So the first one coming up here on Saturday, 6 a.m. Eastern, a little bit earlier in the day. So, uh, you know, if you can't catch it live, make sure you check out the VODs. But that's going to be the New York Excelsior versus the Shanghai Dragons. Obviously, Shanghai are riding on top of the world right now. They just had a great, decisive win over the Seoul Dynasty. So for me, it's now exactly where are they ranking among the rest of these top teams, right? And, uh, of course, I don't think that we've seen them go up against the, the Excelsior uh, just yet. Uh, so, Jake, uh, I have to know, you know, another two, you know, these Titanic teams going up against one another. Do you think that the Dragons are once again going to roll over another one of the big dogs in the league, or do you think that they're finally going to find a challenge uh, in one of the other top contenders? Um, well, I hope it's not a roll. Um, I do think New York should be able to play them close, but I have to say I favor Shanghai with, like, how well they've been playing and how great their composition decisions have been. Um, New York's definitely an X factor. Like we haven't seen them much recently. You know they've been out of competition for a little while now, so they're definitely an unknown, uh, which is honestly good because everyone else has pretty much fell, fallen easily to the Dragons. So I think a team that's more unknown uh, maybe will be able to do better, making themselves harder to scout, harder to prepare against. Um, but yeah, the Dragons just look so insanely dominant. My, my, I would definitely predict them to win. Uh, my only question is, like, how good can New York do? I mean, obviously, New York's a team that could definitely turn that streak around and, and get a win where, where other teams have fallen. Uh, they are consistently one of the best teams in the league. Um, but, you know, Shanghai just looking... On, on the next level. So I totally agree. This is the match of the week for me. So with uh, the hero bands being Wrecking Ball, McCree, and Widowmaker, for the third time, by the way, and uh, Mercy, do you see that these hero bands playing any sort of a, a, a big um, you know, changes into what we, what we should expect to see this weekend? I don't. It's, it's kind of a weird band cycle because I think Wrecking Ball and Mercy are almost zero impact bands. Like, those heroes don't really see playtime. Um, I guess Shanghai plays some Fair Mercy, so probably... Nix is that plan from them, but but they're really, I mean, they're not that reliant on the comp. They just play it in a couple places and have success with it. Um, so maybe that's a slight help to New York. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the McCree and Widow bands are pretty impactful, but it's pretty much just McCree that I think matters. I mean, I think the other three heroes have pretty much seen no professional play. Uh, even Widowmaker has really fallen out of the meta. 
um, in the past few weeks. Like when she's not banned, you still don't see her. Um, so this is just that power of like ranked coming in. Like Widowmaker is always going to be highly played in, in ranked and high level ranked because it's Widowmaker. So uh, it's like always going to see play time. And but at a professional level, it really hasn't been dominant. So I really think this the week it might as well be only a McCree ban. Um, but McCree is probably one of the you know top top three most dominant heroes um, in the meta right now. So to see McCree out definitely going to open up the options as far as DPS go. Uh, might see a lot of Reaper May this week. <laughs> I'm oh, great! Of because course, McCree is like the one hero that can really challenge Reaper at that mid range because the flash, right? Like that's a pretty unique ability. But when McCree's out of the pool, Reaper tends to go crazy. Um, in my experience, Farah could go crazy, but without Mercy, that pretty much kills that. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of the APAC teams run Farah, but I don't think they'll be doing that without Mercy. But yeah, maybe we will see. Um, I don't know. Like I was thinking, we might see like Arissa, Arissa Sigma, or it might. But I think maybe more likely is like Arissa Ryan with Reaper May and um, Batiste and Lucio, or Ana and Lucio. That sort of strategy, I think, will be really strong this week. Uh, the other match to take a look at, uh, of course, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern, the Philadelphia Fusion rematch up against the Paris Eternal. Now, uh, obviously, the rematch between Paris and Atlantis, which we talked about earlier, didn't quite go the distance like it did the first time. Uh, and Paris, of course, trying to rebound after that loss against the Florida Mayhem. What are you expecting out of this match here? Do you think we're going to see another Game 5? Do you think that Fusion might finally be felled? Or uh, do you think they might roll over the same way that they did the rain following uh, through with that momentum? Uh, I hope we get a game five. I mean, I, I like close games, but um, I do think Philly has a big advantage here. They've just been so strong, and Paris has lost a little bit of footing, I think, from a really strong start of the season, kind of slowing things down. Um, a big question for me is, is has Exe recovered? Is, is Exe back to the team yet? Because without Exe, they've definitely, they've definitely suffered. I mean, uh, the other players in, on Paris are strong, but Exe was that shining light, that superstar that really made the difference in a lot of close matches um just being so so sharp on all of his heroes so without Exe in the lineup and sparkle still underage i believe um i think it'll be tough for paris to take this one it's possible but i do think it'll be tough i really hope to see those players in the lineup asap a few other matches to keep your eye on, of course. You know, the Seoul Dynasty, uh, they didn't quite have the match that we wanted them to against the Shanghai Dragons, but they do play both the Spark and the Charge this week. So hopefully we get to see a little bit more of what they have in store for us. And uh, Los Angeles Valiant versus the Atlanta Reign should be another great match. You know, two highly competitive, highly skilled teams. Uh, is there anything in particular that you really wanted to draw your attention to besides our matches of the week or anything that you're really looking forward to, Jake? Hmm. I mean, I actually think this Valiant Rand game is going to be underrated and, and really interesting because both of these teams, um, like, could be a lot stronger and then have had some have had some struggles recently, right? But I think neither of these teams is giving up, right? They're both going to like go back in full force. So I actually think we'll get a close match here with the, with the, the Valiant um, versus the Atlanta Rain. I think that'll be really really fun and, and close, even though they're not necessarily the very top teams in the, in the league right now um this one i think could be similar to like the the fuel outlaws match um that goes the distance and it's just really exciting all around um, i think these teams also match up well because they both like to play aggressive they both like to brawl um which i think makes for an explosive matchup 
All right. Well, guys, that's all the time that we have for today. Once again, make sure that you're connecting with us through social media. That's Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter. You can find Jake at Jake OW on Twitter and Jake underscore OW on Twitch. And uh, make sure that you're paying attention to both the Dallas Fuel and the Houston Outlaws uh, social media uh, for the Lone Star Showdown. Competition starts next Monday. And uh, you can also head over to Checkpoint XP. We have an article up there detailing where to find all the action and how to catch Jake narrating the three-part docuseries for the Lone Star Showdown. Until next time, guys, stay on that payload.